Hello and welcome to today's reading of the Mason City Globe Gazette and the Fort Dodge Messenger for Tuesday, January the 23rd, 2024. I'm your reader, Scott Splavik, and here's our first story from the Globe Gazette. It's entitled, Reynolds Renews Call for Iowa AEA Reform. Governor says administrators compensated an average of more than $300,000. It's written by Jared Strong of the Iowa Capital Dispatch. Governor Kim Reynolds on Fridays reiterated her desire to revamp a system that provides special education services to Iowa's school children amid early opposition to her proposals. Reynolds says those services have suffered as the state's area education agencies have expanded their scope beyond special education in the past 50 years. The nine agencies were created by state lawmakers in 1974 to serve Iowans with disabilities from birth to age 21. Since then, the agencies have broadened their offerings to include, for example, teacher training and crisis response. We don't need the AEAs to be all things, Reynolds said in an open letter to Iowans on Friday. We need them to be one thing, the state's premier provider of special education services. Reynolds noted that only about one-third of the services AEAs list today are focused on supporting children with disabilities. It's true that special education is one of three broad categories of services now offered by the agencies, said Cindy Yellick, the chief administrator of the Heartland AEA, which covers a wide area of urban and rural central Iowa. But she said about 73% of the agency's budgets is devoted to special education. The agencies evaluate students to determine whether they need special assistance, advise and support special education teachers, and also provide direct services to students such as speech, physical, and occupational therapy. Reynolds proposed sweeping changes to the way the agencies operate in her condition of the state address this month, which included allowing school districts to seek the services elsewhere and confining the agency's services to special education. The legislation was officially introduced January 16th, and by Thursday, Reynolds announced it would be amended to allow the agencies to continue offering services beyond special education. The governor got caught playing politics with special education services for Iowa kids, and Iowans are now holding her accountable for it, House Minority Leader Jennifer Conferst, a Democrat from Windsor Heights, said in response to Reynolds's Friday letter. Reynolds has insisted standardized test scores of Iowa students with disabilities show that more than half of the country's states are helping those students more effectively, and that is why the changes are necessary. If we don't do something different, we can simply expect more of the same, Reynolds said. That's not good enough for our children. But those test scores are just one measure of success, Yellick said, and they aren't necessarily a fair comparison among states that have different standards for providing the services. We don't measure the success of special education students just on a standardized test, Yellick said. It's also important to consider the progress students make toward their education goals and whether they are able to continue their education beyond high school, get a job, and live independently, Yellick said. She said the agencies sought to be part of the discussions that led to the new legislation, but that they were largely blocked from the process. 
The AEA system is really open to conversation, dialogue, planning around what we can do to improve service, Yellick said. We really believe the new legislation has the potential to have a significant impact on children and families and schools, and we want the state to be thoughtful about that and make sure that we aren't dismantling services that are highly needed. Reynolds said Friday on an episode of Iowa Press that too much money is being paid to administrator to administer the AEA services and that nine agencies should be pared down. Really, what we're doing is kind of eliminating or reducing some of the overhead, Reynolds said. Right now, we have nine AEA districts, nine chiefs, and they were making, on an average, when you look at total compensation package, about $310,000 each. And we don't need nine. We're a small state. That compensation equals about 0.5% of the $529 million that Reynolds said funds the AEA system. Yellick said the total administrator compensation among AEA agencies is less than 5% of their budgets, which is in line with state law requirements for school districts. Democrat lawmakers have seized on the early amendment of the bill as a sign that Reynolds' proposal is unpalatable and will face continued opposition. While I'm glad to see the governor is slowing down and listening to Iowans, it's clear that she still does not understand the value AEAs provide or the harm her proposed cuts will have on children, families, and communities, said Senate Democratic leader Pam Yoakum of Dubuque. Iowans know they have the governor's attention. I implore them to keep up the pressure to protect our AEAs. Next is an article entitled, Nyack President Scholes to Retire After 10 Years at Post. This is written by Alexander Schmidt of the Globe Gazette. North Iowa Area Community College President Stephen Scholes announced in October he will be retiring at the end of the 2024 academic year, winding down a 42-year career in public education. The last 10 years have seen him lead the college through a multitude of changes to achieve greater heights in the ever-changing environment of education. Schulz, who hails originally from Geneva in Franklin County, knew the value of education from a young age. My dad was a junior high principal, Schulz said. I followed his career path as a K-12 educator before I found my home here in community colleges. Schulz taught in Nashua and served as principal at Plainfield before spending 13 years at Carroll Community School District, first as middle school principal and then four years as superintendent of schools. Schulz then served as an academic administrator and provost at Des Moines Area Community College for nearly 10 years, earning a doctorate in educational leadership from Iowa State University in 2009. In December of 2013, Schulz was hired as president at NIAC. Since then, the college has been a top 150 finalist for the nationally recognized Aspen Prize for Community College Excellence in 2013, 2015, 2017, 2019, and most recently in 2023 when NIAC earned a semifinalist slot as one of the top 25 community colleges in America. It's our continued commitment to student success that produces student outcomes worthy of being recognized as one of the top 25 community colleges in the nation, said Scholes of the recognition from the Aspen Institute. I'm extremely proud of the faculty, staff, and administration at NIAC for their ongoing commitment to quality and student success. NIAC serves approximately 2,500 students, 46% of which are full-time. 
In 2022, over 1,000 high schoolers in the nine counties surrounding NIAC got at least a year head start on their college education and careers through NIAC's Career Link program. Schulz has overseen a dramatic revitalization and expansion of the facilities at NIAC, updating nearly 80% of campus facilities since he took over. One of the first projects was leading the $15 million capital campaign and bond referendum, which saw the construction of the STEM Center, in addition to new funding for regional centers in Forest City, Charles City, Osage, Garner, Hampton, and Lake Mills. Schulz said regionalization is the key to quality as the college moves forward, and he was encouraged by the community's overwhelming support for the projects. What a great opportunity it was for a new president, he said, to go out and meet people who are supportive of the college, who believe in our mission, and believe in North Iowa. Almost everyone in North Iowa is a, has a connection to this college. That's what really makes it, a, it special. They really understand the value. Schulz said another job opportunity was presented to him five years ago, but he ultimately decided Anayak was his home and would be the capstone to his career. He committed to seeing the college through its 100th anniversary celebrations in 2018. For me, personally and professionally, now just seemed like the right time. The decision to retire is never easy. I'll be 63 in March, and the college is in a great position to go through a transition like this. We just completed our 10-year accreditation visit, and our strategic plan has a couple years left on it, so the new president can have some time in the seat before they have to lead that work. It's just been a privilege to be here, Schulz said. It's more than I ever could have expected in terms of experience, the people I work with, and the communities that we serve. Ten years is a long time for somebody to lead a college in these modern times. Changes will be good. New vision, new views will all be positive for the college. And now we just hope that we can hire the best possible person to carry on the great work of leading a 105-year-old college. The vacancy for the president's position at NIAC was posted January 16th, and the college's board of directors will begin review of applicants in February, expecting a candidate selection by early April. The new president will assume responsibilities on July 1st. Iowa Works hosts weekly hiring events. This comes from Robin McClelland. The Iowa Works Mason City office at 600 South Pierce Avenue hosts weekly hiring events Tuesdays in the Job Center to connect job-ready candidates with area employers who are hiring. Employers from the area participate, and all interested applicants are encouraged to attend. There's never a greater time to re-enter the workforce, and these weekly hiring events will help showcase the wide variety of positions available in our area, said Sarah Cook, business engagement consultant for Iowa Workforce Development within the Iowa Works Mason City Center. Our weekly hiring events are often the first step to re-employment or even a new career in high-demand fields. Iowa Works stands ready to help any job seeker find the connection they need to get started. Tuesday's event features from noon to 3 p.m., United States Postal Service. For more information, contact Iowa Works at area code 641-422-1524. Mason City man facing litany of charges after traffic stop, foot chase. This is list, list, written by Lisa Groet. A North Iowa man was arrested on numerous charges after a traffic stop turned into a brief foot chase early Monday morning. According to court documents, Todd Aaron Howard Hamilton Sutton Jr., 
age 32 of Mason City, was pulled over near the intersection of North Federal Avenue and 13th Street Northeast by Mason City police officers just before 1 a.m. for expired vehicle tags. Upon being stopped, officers say Sutton provided them with a false name, identifying himself as Aaron Washington, as well as giving a false date of birth before fleeing on foot. Officers apprehended Sutton a short time later and transferred to the Cerro Gordo County Jail. After being processed, jail employees found Sutton to have 9 grams of cocaine and 30 grams of marijuana on his person. Sutton has been charged with two felony counts of possession of contraband in a correctional facility and one felony count each of possession of a controlled substance and controlled substance violation. He's also facing misdemeanor charges of interference with official acts, driving while barred, and providing false information, as well as traffic infractions for no updated registration and failure to provide proof of insurance. He is being held in the Cerro Gordo County Jail on over $24,000 bond. A preliminary court hearing is scheduled for 1.15 p.m. February 2nd. Sutton is also due to stand trial in March on unrelated charges of driving under the influence, driving while barred, and possession of a controlled substance stemming from an October 2023 arrest. Next, winter programs and events at Lime Creek Nature Center, written by Robin McClelland of the Globe Gazette. Lime Creek Nature Center offers regular programming for both members and non-members. Check out the upcoming winter programs at Lime Creek. Second Annual Lime Creek Conservation Area Fat Tire Race. Noon, Saturday, February the 3rd, Lime Creek Conservation Area. The Second Annual Fat Tire Race at Lime Creek offers an afternoon of snow and cycling. To race, you must have a bike with tires 3.8 inches or greater. Helmets are required. Beginner and advanced categories available. Arrive as early as 10 a.m. to check in. Day of registration is $30 and closes at 11.30 a.m. Registration is $25 and can be found online at https colon slash slash www.bikereg.com slash Lime Creek Fat Bike 24. Conservation Coffee Club, Symbols of Iowa. 9.30 to 11 a.m. Wednesday, February the 7th, Lime Creek Nature Center. Enjoy some social time with coffee, tea, and treats, followed by a conservation-focused program. ISU Extension's Agriculture and Natural Resource Outreach Coordinator, Beth Wagi, a co-author of the State Symbols Edition of the Iowa Wildlife Series booklets, will talk about the history of our state symbols. Cost is $3 for Nature Center members and $5 for non-members. Pre-registration is required by 4 p.m. Friday, February 2nd. And Women's Winter Revival, 1 to 7 p.m. Saturday, February 24th, Lime Creek Nature Center. Get revived during an afternoon of fun, relaxation, exploration, and connection. Breathing, meditation, Dutch oven cooking, and nature discovery will fill your mind, heart, and stomach with renewed energy. All ages are welcome. However, this is an adult-focused program. $20 per person in the registration deadline is 4 p.m. Tuesday, February 20th. And NICAO to host Blood Drive Wednesday. This comes from Robin McClelland, North Iowa Community Action Organization, 
will host a blood drive from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Wednesday, January 24th at the Central Park Building, 100 First Street Northwest in the upstairs conference room. Blood supplies are at a critical low, according to the American Red Cross. One whole blood donation can help up to three patients. The blood drive is being hosted with LifeServe Blood Center, which operates a distribution center in Mason City. Donations will serve area hospitals and clinics. To register for the blood drive at NICAO, visit lifeserveBloodCenter.org to register. Click the donor tab and search by zip code 404, excuse me, 504001 to find the NICAO blood drive. Now we'll turn to the opinion page and we've got another, another view from the Boston Herald entitled Dismissing Trump Voters, A Big Mistake. Democrats should be leaning in to listen rather than catering to young progressives. Donald Trump's blowout win in Iowa was a wake-up call for Democrats, but not for the reason they think. The reaction from the left over Trump's 51% rout in the state's Republican caucuses was expectedly agitated. Former Senator Claire McCaskill, a Democrat from Missouri, declared on MSNBC's Morning Joe that it wasn't that great of a night for Trump and that getting 50% of the vote was actually a bad thing. President Joe Biden posted to X, but here's the thing. This election was always going to be you and me versus extreme MAGA Republicans. It was true yesterday, and it'll be true tomorrow. And Representative Adam Schiff, a Democrat from California who was running for Senate, rolled out a new January 6th-themed ad warning of a dire future ahead following former Trump's win in Iowa, The Hill reported. Now we face an even greater danger, the ad narrator states, as video shows the New York Times headline, Why a Second Trump Presidency May Be More Radical Than His First. It is, to a degree, a repeat of 2016 when Trump supporters were written off as racists, sexist, hyper-religious filler in a basket of deplorables. The results of election night 2016 had media and pundits reeling. As the results came in, NBC News' Chuck Todd declared, Rural America is basically screaming at us, saying, Stop overlooking us. It wasn't just rural America. Trump voters across the country sent the message that they are hard-working, tax-paying, non-elite, didn't feel like anyone was listening to them. But Trump, the sloughing off of non-Democrats from the zone of political importance, has only gotten worse as progressives have maneuvered their agenda to the top of the pile. Don't want an electric car? You're part of the problem. Balk at picking up the tab so college students can walk away from some of their loans? You just don't get it. One of the factors behind Trump's 2016 win was the silent cadre of supporters, those who didn't show up to rallies or wave signs. They didn't want to appear with those who did, but they voted all the same. Now Democrats are repeating the same plays, casting Trump supporters as a homogenous threat and not as diverse fellow Americans with issues worth listening to. Trump voters know it's not okay for eggs to cost $6 a dozen no matter how much Team Joe touts Bidenomics as a good thing. They see cities and states buckling under the strain of sheltering waves of migrants to their fiscal detriment while Biden paints a rosier border picture. Democrats in power had four years to listen, learn, and lean in. Instead, 
Biden appealed to and continues to appease the progressive wing of the party in a bid to remain on the good side of younger voters. Biden's poll numbers are approaching the Earth's core, with an ABC News Ipsos poll finding a 33% approval rating. Biden and company can get with the program and start paying attention to all Americans, not just the progressive blue starters, staters, or be in for a very rough November night in 2024. Next, we turn to today's obituaries, and we'll start with Marjorie Lucille Muchmore, age 86, of Mason City, who passed away January 11th at Mercy One Medical Center. Marge's wishes were to be brought back to her family farm in Scales Mound, Illinois. A celebration of life will be held at the Mason City VFW at a later date. Hogan Bremer Moore Colonial Chapel is handling arrangements that can be reached at area code 641-423-2372 or at online at colonialchapels.com. Next, we remember Calliope Holus age 92, Mason City slash Clear Lake, who died Saturday, January the 20th, 2024. Services Saturday, January the 27th, 2024 at Holy Transfiguration Greek Orthodox Church, 1311 Second Street Southwest, Mason City. Trisagen service, 9 a.m., visitation 9 to 10 a.m., funeral services 10 a.m. at the church. Hogan Bremer Moore Colonial Chapel is handling arrangements and they can be reached at 641-423-2372. And we remember Carol L. Buzik, age 74, of Mason City, who passed away on Sunday, January the 21st, 2021, at Mercy One North Iowa Medical Center. A memorial service will be held at 10.30 a.m. on Saturday, January 27, 2024, at First United Methodist Church, 119 South Georgia Avenue. Visitation will be held from 4 to 6 p.m. on Friday, January 26, 2024, at Major Erickson Funeral Home, 111 North Pennsylvania Avenue. Inurnment will be held at a later date. Memorials may be directed to the family of Carol Buzik. Online condolences may be left for the family at www.majorericksonfuneralhome.com. Now we turn to sports, high school basketball, battle of the leaders. Lake Mills takes down Osage in big-time matchup. It's written by Nate Thomas of the Globe Gazette. In a matchup that was built up to be one of the best in North Iowa, Lake Wills Mills showed its prowess as one of the best teams in Class 1A on Friday night. The top of Iowa West leading Bulldogs eased past previously undefeated Osage, the top of Iowa East leaders, 70-43 to at home. Four Bulldogs scored in double figures, led by Aiden Stensrud, 17 points, 14 rebound, double-double. Even though the offense stole the show with another 70-point game with 55% shooting, it was the defense that led Lake Mills to the big win against one of the best offensive teams in the state. We knew we just had to be big. We are the bigger team size-wise, but you have to play good defense, Stenstrude said. They have good guards, so we knew we had to stay in front, eliminate those drives, and finish the possession with a rebound. Offensively, just get it inside, get the ball moving, and get some buckets. Lance Helming scored 15 points, Eli Menke had 14, and Jackson Gall dished out 9 assists with 11 points for Lake Mills. Max Knutson paced the Green Devils with 14. 
In high school boys wrestling, Osage wins conference title as postseason ramps up. This is also written by Nate Thomas. Osage was the overwhelming favorite heading into the top of Iowa Conference Championships on Saturday. The Green Devils, the top-ranked team in Class 2A and regarded as one of the top dual and individual teams in the state, had to sweat out the tournament a little bit. Nashua Plainfield held a slim lead heading into the finals, but Osage stepped up to the plate, namely behind its big-time wrestlers. Six Green Devils won conference titles, Blake Fox, Anders Kittleson, Tucker, Stangle, Max, Gast, Ledger, Nels, and Mac, Muller to lead the team to the title. It was mandatory for them to do what they did, Coach Brent Jennings said. I mean, for us to win, they did what they had to do. This season, they have wrestled a lot of matches, and they came through. Some of the early matches came as a surprise to Osage, but still, the Green Devils fought back late and won the crucial matches to pull away with another conference title. We are at the top of our game right now, and we are still building, Stangle said. We expected to win. I think we are starting to peak at the right time. We just need to build confidence. Stengel's match at 157 pounds flipped the script. He held off West Hancock's Kellen Smith for the title with a 3-2 win. Nels picked up a first-round pin over the Eagles' David Smith to finally clinch the title after the Green Devils got a couple of other placement matches to fall their way. In girls' high school basketball, Vanek leads Lake Mills past Osage. Lake Mills girls' basketball coach Beth Van Rokel called it the best game of Taylor Vanek's career. The senior guard, despite a slow start, put on a show on Friday night. She posted 21 points, 9 rebounds, and 8 assists to lead the Bulldogs to a 56-29 win over Osage at home. Vanek took over in the third quarter, blowing the game open with 7 points and multiple assists in transition. Lake Mills's win over the Green Devils was the school's first in girls basketball since 2011, a span of 12 meetings. It was also the first win since the calendar flipped for the Bulldogs. We're just starting to put things together, and this is a good point in the season to start doing this, Vanek said. Our offense is going, our defense is going to pick up the pressure and intensity, and I think that really helped us out tonight. The win ends a three-game losing streak for the Bulldogs, who even took a few learning lessons. A second-half press pulled Lake Mills within one possession for Belmont Clemmy late. And despite falling by 38 to Algona Garrigan, there were positives in the second half. One of the starts was adding a full-court press and playing faster. We played a lot of girls tonight. We have a pretty deep bench, and that helped us stay fresh and be able to run the floor a lot, Van Rokel said. We just really focused on intensity and defense and pushing the ball. The team is starting to come together. A sickness that hit a few players is fading, injuries are starting to heal, and the Bulldogs' on-court play has boosted from it. We are stepping up our intensity a lot, Vanek said. We are adding different defenses to mix it up and make teams dig in a little bit more, and I think that's been huge for us. Vanek has been around the team for a while, a four-year varsity player. She has never won a postseason game with the Bulldogs. At seven wins and eight losses, there is a chance for Lake Mills to do that. Even if the young team doesn't make it out of the first regional matchup, the program is trending in the right direction with the senior leadership. The Bulldogs could finish in the top half of the top of Iowa West in quite some time, too. Vanek has taken it upon herself to show some of the younger players the ropes. 
We have some seniors that are really stepping up, Manick said. A lot of freshmen and underclassmen were shy coming in, and it's nice to finally see them opening up. Here's a recap of this weekend's events in North Iowa. In high school basketball, Mason City Girls won its lone game of the weekend, 59-46, over Waterloo East at home on Friday. Reggie Spots scored 18 points with 13 rebounds to lead the Riverhawks. Grace Birding had 15 points and 6 boards. The Riverhawks boys fell to Waterloo East 81-73 at home on Friday. The Trojans outscored Mason City 29-14 in the first quarter and held on from there. Ty Sanchez-Evans scored 24 points with 10 rebounds to pace the Riverhawks, and Marcel Whitner had 18 points and 7 rebounds. Newman Catholic girls erased a 10-point deficit to defeat West Fork 44-41 on Friday at home. Sammy Kruckenberg had a game-high 20 points with 9 rebounds. The Knights boys rebounded from a 15-point halftime deficit to push West Fork, but the Warhawks prevailed 75-67. Caleb Van Lair had 22 points and 4 assists. In high school girls wrestling, Mason City finished in fourth in its home invitational in the Mason City Fieldhouse on Saturday. Layla Phillips at 105 pounds and Kaylee Gibbons at 130 pounds each won event titles too. Kylie James finished third at 155. Clear Lake finished in seventh in the tournament with Piper Lester at 125 and Kama Burleson at 170 finished second. College women's basketball, Nyack split two games this weekend, falling 71-57 to at number 1 Kirkwood and defeating Southwestern 71-59 on Saturday at home. The Eagles extended a two-point halftime lead to 15 with 22-9 run in the second quarter to defeat the Trojans on Wednesday. Madison Hillman led the team with 16 points and 11 rebounds. Lily Radcliffe scored 19 points in the home win, while Hillman had 17 points, 12 boards, and 7 blocks. In college men's basketball, Nyack dropped a pair of games this week to move to 8 wins and 10 losses on the season. O'Marion Roberts scored 17 points, and Ramir Scott had 12 in a 92-62 loss at Kirkwood on Wednesday. On Saturday, the Trojans fell 84-76 to to Southwestern at home. Six players scored in double figures, led by Wyatt Helming, who had 15 points and 10 rebounds, while Jordan Brown also posted a double-double. And NHL hockey, NAHL hockey, North Iowa won its first games of 2024 this weekend with a two-game sweep of Springfield at Mason City Arena. On Friday night, the Bulls trailed 3-0 in the third period before Blake Olvey, Cash Crawford, and Jack Severson each scored in a three-minute stretch to tie the game. Severson scored in overtime to seal the 4-3 comeback win. The Bulls scored four goals in a three-minute stretch on Saturday night to cruise to a 5-1 win over the Junior Blues. Severson scored twice again while Olvey, Hayden, Siegel, and Charles Belland also found the net. North Iowa travels to Aberdeen this Friday and Saturday. 
You're listening to the Mason City Globe Gazette and Fort Dodge Messenger on IRIS, the Iowa radio reading information service for the blind. All material heard on IRIS is intended solely for the use of the blind and print disabled. I am your reader, Scott Splavik. If you have any comments on this or any other IRIS program, please give us a call at area code 515-243-6833. Now we'll move over to the Fort Dodge Messenger. Our first article is entitled, Fort Dodge Franchise Fees Clear Initial Hurdle. City Council Supports Them Unanimously. It's written by Bill Shea. A pair of utility franchise fees that would provide money for eight more police officers and quality of life projects was unanimously approved by the Fort Dodge City Council Monday on the first reading. The 5% fees, which are projected to generate $2.4 million a year in revenue from gas and electric bills, must be approved two more times to go into effect. People keep telling me they want to add more officers, but not this way, Councilman Cameron Nelson said. If there was another way to do it, we would do that. This is the only way. Mayor Matt Bemrich said without the franchise fees, drastically cutting other services would be the only way to free up more money for police. I am retired, Councilman Kim Allstott said. I'm on a tight budget too, but this is good for the community and I am in favor of it. Allstott said he believes the workload on the 40-member police force is too heavy, that is so heavy that officers are probably leaving and going to other law enforcement agencies. I hate losing good officers, he said. He added that he gets numerous calls from citizens complaining about drug houses. He said he knows the police department currently doesn't have enough people to keep an eye on those locations and collect evidence against them. I want to get rid of these drug houses, he said. I think a lot of crime is related to drugs. Councilwoman Megan Secor said the franchise fees will also support quality of life projects and things like the Carl L. King Municipal Band and Citizens Central. We're trying our best to maintain a great Fort Dodge, she said. Secor, Bemrich, and Councilwoman Lydia Schur praised the work that the city staff did in preparing the franchise fee proposals. In my opinion, this is one of the best things our staff has put together in a long time, Bemrich said. He said adding police officers has been a top marquee item for the council. What is a franchise fee? The city government has the power to grant individuals and businesses franchises to to provide services within the community. Mid-American Energy has long held a franchise to provide electric and natural gas services to the city. Franchise fees are essentially rent that the companies pay for use of public property and rights of way. Revenues from a franchise fee can be used to support any essential service of the city. Fort Dodge levies a franchise fee on the cable television bills of Mediacom. It has not levied one on Mid-American Energy previously. How much is the franchise fee? The proposed fees are 5% added to both the electric and gas bills. If the franchise fees are implemented, the 1% local option sales tax would be removed from those bills. The result would be a net increase of $3.68 per month on average residential electric bills, according to figures provided by the city. There would also be a net increase of $3.18 per month on average residential gas bills, according to those figures. Separate public hearings were held during Monday's council meeting about the electric and gas franchise fees. 
Astra Ferris, Chief Executive Officer of the Greater Fort Dodge Growth Alliance, said the alliance is in favor of the fees. She said combating crime and improving quality of life really just aligns with the alliance's goal of recruiting workforce to the community. Patrol Officer Matt Wire, a school resource officer, said the city's officers are excited and motivated by hearing the news of eight additional officers. We as officers want to be proactive, he said. But he said with seven members on a patrol shift and frequently fewer than that on the streets, officers just go from one call for service to the next. Wire said the more officers available, they could spend more time serving arrest warrants, patrolling areas with high crime problems, and interacting with the public. The addition of eight will allow us to do even greater things at a greater level, he said. Sergeant Caitlin Carlisle, a detective, gave the council a detailed breakdown of all the hours the detectives spent investigating homicides dating back to November 2022. We are hopeful that your vote will send a loud and clear message to us, she said. Kelly Bradley, a Fort Dodge resident, asked why the council didn't impose a tax on tobacco and alcohol to pay for more police officers. Heat is necessary, she said. Utilities are necessary. We do need the officers, hands down, she said. She asked the council to prioritize the budget. Bemrich said the city does not have the authority to levy a tax on alcohol and tobacco. Streamlined budgets would have enough room to find these to fund these officers, said Scott Underberg of Fort Dodge. Rebalance that budget into law enforcement. The council voted separately on the gas franchise fee and the electric franchise fee. Both votes were unanimous. Next up is a story by Kelly Wingert entitled Major Gas Leak Leads to Explosion Fire in Fort Dodge. No one injured Monday. A strip mall near downtown Fort Dodge was damaged in an explosion and fire Monday morning, hours after a natural gas leak was identified in the area. According to a release from Fort Dodge Fire Chief Steve Hergenretter, Fire and EMS crews were dispatched to 15 North 12th Street shortly after 4 p.m. on Sunday for a reported odor of gas. When crews arrived, their gas detection equipment found significant levels of gas in the building, which houses Collections Antique Store. Gas was also detected in storm sewers in the area. Mid-American Energy was then dispatched and determined the source of the gas leak was an underground leak. The process to locate the site of the leak continued overnight with Fort Dodge Public Works closing the streets surrounding North 12th Street between Central Avenue and 2nd Avenue North. Electrical power to the buildings was also disconnected. Fort Dodge Fire Department crews were on scene until 1.30 a.m. Monday. Six hours later, an explosion and fire were reported in the strip mall at 23 through 33 North 12th Street on the same block as the original gas leak report. When firefighters arrived, they found heavy fire and smoke coming from the building and mounted an aggressive interior fire attack with two hose lines. The strip mall is a 7,000-square-foot building that contains three retail businesses and two occupied apartments. Three occupants of the apartments were able to escape the fire without injuries prior to the crew's arrival. Hergen Redder lauded the efforts of his firefighters during Monday night's city council meeting. While the gas was still on, without hesitation, they went in, extinguished the fire, and searched for people, he said. 
The fire crews knocked down the fire and contained it to the one building, Hergenretter said, though the source of the gas leak is still unknown. Mid-American turned off natural gas service to 30 businesses and residential customers in the area to ensure there was no longer a threat due to gas, said Jeff Greenwood, media relations manager for Mid-American. According to Hergenretter, the concrete and frozen ground at the site complicated the efforts to locate the gas leak, but it was finally found and isolated around noon Monday. Monday's explosion at 22 through 33 North 12th Street was caused by the failure of a two-inch gas main located underneath North 12th Street, an investigation by the fire department and Mid-American determined. The leaking gas had migrated underground and into the building where it was ignited by an unknown cause, creating the explosion and fire. The Fort Dodge Police Department also assisted with the situation. The building at 22 through 33 North 12th Street is owned by NYC Mart Incorporated of Fort Dodge, according to the Webster County Assessor's website. The businesses located in the building include Highway 20 Liquor, Vape, and Tobacco, Crispy Crunchy Chicken, Fade Designs Barbershop, and DG Construction. Rogers Sports Complex Field to Get Artificial Turf is the title of our next article by Bill Shea. Yankee Stadium will be home to Triton Softball. The local replica of the home of the Bronx Bombers will be getting artificial turf this summer and will have an expanded role in the Fort Dodge sports scene. Yankee Stadium in Harlan and Hazel Rogers Sports Complex will be getting the upgrades as a result of action by the Fort Dodge City Council Monday. It will become the home field of the Iowa Central Community College softball team and will be used if the girls' state softball tournament moves to a double elimination format. Doyle Construction of Fort Dodge was awarded a $710,020.18 contract for the work, which is to be done by July the 15th. This is a good project, Councilman David Flattery said. This is in, it is in conjunction with Iowa Central. The local version of the historic home of the New York Yankees is at the northeast end of the complex, along with reproductions of Fenway Park in Boston, Wrigley Field in Chicago, and Dodger Stadium in Los Angeles. Collectively, these fields know, are known as the Mini Majors. Yankee Stadium was chosen for the artificial turf installation because it has more of the infrastructure needed to make it a high school and junior college level softball field. It has netting to stop foul balls, which wraps around the home plate backstop and both dugouts. It also has bleachers, and there is enough room there to extend the outfield to 200 feet in center field. In November, the council approved an agreement with Iowa Central in which the college will pay 50% of the cost of installing artificial turf for a maximum of $400,000. That money will be paid to the city in the 2024 and 2025 fiscal years. In return, Iowa Central will get reduced field rental rates through 2033. Doyle Construction was hired in November to do some work on Yankee Stadium. It is removing the existing fences and dugouts, doing some earthwork, building new dugouts, and relocating the scoreboard. That work is to be done by May 1st. Friday pursuit ends in flames. Spencer Mann faces numerous charges after fleeing scene. This is written by Kelby Wingert, and the dateline is Lawrence. A Spencer man is facing numerous charges after crashing into two law enforcement vehicles and leading a pursuit through Lawrence in Pocahontas County on Friday night. 
According to a post by the Iowa State Patrol on Facebook, the State Patrol was assisting the Lawrence Police Department on a single vehicle fatality crash when an unrelated vehicle hit both law enforcement vehicles and fled the scene. The driver of the vehicle, 35-year-old Ricky Paul Burnett of Spencer, was located at the Casey's in Lawrence and continued to lead law enforcement on a pursuit before his vehicle was disabled on Iowa Highway 10 by stop sticks deployed by the Pocahontas Police Department. Burnett continued to rev the engine of his vehicle until it caught fire. He then attempted to flee on foot but was quickly taken into custody. He is being charged with leaving the scene of a personal injury accident, eluding, second offense, reckless driving, driving while suspended, no SR-22, or no proof of insurance. He was arrested and booked into the Pocahontas County Jail, according to Iowa State Patrol Trooper Paul Gardner. The Iowa State Patrol and Lawrence Police Department were assisted by the Pocahontas Police Department, Pocahontas County Sheriff's Office, Havelock Fire Department, and Lawrence Ambulance Service. An airport fees offset need for tax dollars. Forch Dodge City Council continues to review 2024-2025 budget. This comes to us from Bill Shea. It costs about three-quarters of a million dollars to run the Fort Dodge Regional Airport, but local taxpayers don't foot all of that bill. Because the airport generates revenues from fees, taxpayers provide 42% of the needed money to operate the facility, according to Rhonda Chambers, the airport's director of aviation. In return, the airport generates about $87 million annually in economic impact, she said. That's not a bad investment for $87 million, Chambers said, of the property taxpayers' contribution to the airport. Chambers explained the revenue numbers and economic impact Monday evening during a presentation to the City Council during a budget workshop. The proposed airport budget for 2024-2025 is $777,667. Revenue generated by the airport is projected to provide $449,335, or 58% of the budget. Property taxes will provide $323,332, or 42% of the budget. Chambers reported that the airport has received about $1.5 million worth of federal and state grants to pay for some improvements. The city will provide $183,330 in matching funds for those grants. The grant money will pay for these projects. Reconstruction of a 1950s vintage hangar rehabilitating a taxiway that connects the runways to the apron by the terminal building, upgrading the fuel system to meet new fire safety codes. The budget also includes money to replace a 2008 pickup and a sand spreader box mounted in the truck during the winter. The council did not request any revisions to the proposed airport budget. It also reviewed the proposed budgets for these organizations. The Fort Dodge Public Library, Visit Fort Dodge, Blandon Memorial Art Museum, and the Carl L. King Municipal Band. Now it's time to turn to today's obituaries, and we will start with the remembering Laverne William Pells, age 82, of Mason of Manson, excuse me, who passed away on Sunday, January 21st, 2024, at Iowa Methodist Hospital in Des Moines. A private family service will be held at a later date. Arrangements have been entrusted with Larson Weishar Funeral Home in Manson. Next, we remember Jane Elizabeth Gross Pearson, 
age 97 of Fort Dodge, Iowa, who passed away on January the 13th, 2024 at Bickford Assisted Living in Fort Dodge. Funeral services will be held 11 a.m. on Saturday, January the 27th, 2024 at First Baptist Church of Fort Dodge. Visitation will be held from 9.30 to 10.45 a.m. prior to the funeral service. In lieu of flowers, memorials may be directed to the discretion of the family. A complete obituary is available at www.gundersonfuneralhome.com. And we remember Thomas Elgin Anderson, whose celebration of life is 10.30 a.m. Friday, January the 26th at Hope Church in Pocahontas, Iowa. Burial will take place at a later date. There will be no visitation. Now we remember Gilbert L. Hildreth, age 97, of Rockwell City, who passed away Sunday, January the 21st, 2024, at Sunny Knoll Care Center. A celebration of life will be held from 1 to 3 p.m. Friday, January the 26th, 2024, at Palmer Swank Funeral Home. A prayer service will begin at 3 p.m. and burial will follow in Rose Hill Cemetery. Family requests that attendees wear their Iowa Hawkeye gear to the service. Memorials may be left to the family discretion. We remember Terry L. Mortensen, age 68, of Fort Dodge, who died Sunday, January the 21st, 2024, at Paula J. Baber Hospice Home. Cremation rites will be accorded with Gunderson Funeral Home and cremation services. No services are planned at this time. Now we remember Vernon Halder, age 85, of Fort Dodge, who passed away Saturday, January the 20th, 2024, at the Paula J. Baber Hospice Home. Funeral services will be 11 a.m. Thursday in the chapel of Lofsweiler Funeral Home. Burial will follow in St. Olaf Cemetery. A visitation will begin one hour prior to the service at the funeral home. Memorials may be left to the family discretion. And we remember Kay Harfst of Webster City, who died January the 12th, 2024. Memorial is 10.30 a.m. on Saturday, January 27th, 2024, at First Congressional United Church of Christ. Bowman Funeral Home is handling arrangements and can be reached at www.bomanfh.com. And finally, we remember Gregory Lutz, age 76, of Twin Lakes, who passed away on Sunday, January the 21st, 2024, at the Simpson Health Center at Friendship Haven. Services will be 10.30 a.m. on Friday, January the 26th, 2024, at the Gunderson Funeral Chapel. Burial will be in the North Lawn Cemetery with military honors conducted by the United States Navy and the American Legion Post number 1856. Visitation will be from 4 to 7 p.m. on Thursday at the Gunderson Funeral Home and cremation services in Fort Dodge. Now we turn to sports, and we'll start with an article entitled Dominant Sweep, Dodger Boys Route East for Biggest Win Since 1985. It's written by Eric Pratt. The scores and record may not always indicate it, but head coach Willie Williams continues to see progress from his Fort Dodge Boys basketball team. On Monday night, those recent intangible improvements paid off in a big way. 
The Dodgers put it all together in a 77-28 dismantling of Des Moines East as Williams's squad scored the program's largest margin of victory since a 101-51 win by Fort Dodge on December the 3rd, 1985, 38 seasons ago. When you play hard and buy into sharing the ball for 32 solid minutes, good things happen, Williams said. The effort has been there. These guys love ball and they love playing together. They get along and have fun with it. But what we hadn't seen before Monday was the consistency we showed in our execution. We took high percentage shots and turned good looks into great ones. I'm really proud of them. I don't want to say we were perfect. Far from it. But I really like what I've been seeing lately. Win or lose, we're making progress, and I feel like we're close to turning a corner. So it was nice to see it all come to fruition against the Scarlets. The Dodgers, who are now three wins and three losses in their six games since the Christmas break, return to action on Thursday against Perry. The contest location will be determined on Tuesday morning. The Blue Jays haven't played at home since the tragic school shooting on campus earlier this month. And the Fort Dodge girls roll past Scarlet's. Dodgers score record 53-point home drubbing versus Des Moines East. Also written by Eric Pratt. Hit with multiple rounds of bad news lately, the Fort Dodge girls basketball team was more than happy to welcome the ray of sunshine Monday's game against Des Moines East provided on their home court. The shorthanded Dodgers licked their wounds and took out their frustration on the Scarlets, dominating from start to finish in a 71-18 drubbing to pull back to the break-even mark on the season. Sophomore L.J. Mayle scored 24 points, classmate Dakota Palmer added 16, and senior Mackenzie McElrath 13 for FDSH, which pitched a first-period shutout and never looked back. The Dodgers put the clamps down on East, allowing only eight made field goals and zero free-throw attempts. This was big for our confidence. It's nice to get back on track, said Fort Dodge head coach Scott Messerly, who saw his group drop 4 of 5 recently and lose players Mia McCaleb and Maddie Hoshaw to season-ending injuries. When you're going into a game like this, you want to make sure you don't take a step backward, even in a big win. I thought in the second half especially, we shared the ball well, kept our turnover count down, and got meaningful minutes from almost everyone. You have to control what you can and dictate the energy you bring to the table. It's easy to coast in a situation like this, and fortunately, we avoided any sense of a letdown. The Dodger girls head to Storm Lake on Thursday before facing Waterloo East at home on Friday. Next, Dodger wrestlers on the road versus rival. Fourth-ranked Fort Dodge travels to take on IAC foe Mason City. This comes to us from Chris Johnson. The Fort Dodge wrestling team will compete in their final regular season duel on Tuesday. The fourth-ranked Dodgers travel to Mason City. Action will begin at 6.30 p.m. with junior varsity. Varsity is to follow. Fort Dodge is coming off a second-place performance at the Ed Winger Invitational on Saturday. Brothers Damarian Ross and Drayshawn Ross earned gold. Drew Ayala, Coy Davidson, and Kale Hartman all placed third. Caden Buttrick was third, while Riley Brown, Joe Constable, and Luke Fierke finished fourth. This is our last regular season duel, so we want to come out and compete and keep moving forward, said Fort Dodge head coach Bobby Thompson, who sits at 289 career victories. 
We have the conference meet on Saturday. Then we hit the postseason. Fort Dodge enters Tuesday's meet with eight ranked wrestlers. Davidson and Drishon Ross are both number one. Demarion Ross is second, while Ayala is third. Cal Hartman and Buttrick are both seventh. Sam Davidson and Fierke are rated tenth. Both Ayala and Demarion Ross have joined the 100-win club. Davidson is nearly there. Ayala is seventh on FDSH's all-time list, and Demarion Ross is currently twelfth. On Saturday, the Dodgers compete in the Iowa Alliance Conference Tournament. Joining the Dodgers will be Ames, Des Moines East, Des Moines Lincoln, Des Moines North Hoover, Des Moines Roosevelt, Marshalltown, Mason City, Ottumwa, and Waterloo East. The tournament will begin at 10 a.m. Ottumwa, Waterloo East, and Ames have some guys, Thompson said. We need to have some success and build our momentum. Our tournament schedule has been brutal, and that will be valuable the rest of the way. That brings us to the end of today's reading of the Mason City Globe Gazette and the Fort Dodge Messenger. I'm your reader, Scott Splaybeck. Thanks for sharing your time with IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind.